there is power in the name of Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus. To break every chain, to break every chain, to break every there is power in the name of Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus. To break every shame, to break every shame, to break every Every chain to break 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 every chain. Let's give him one more shot of prayer. Who just wants to keep on worshipping? Me? (laughs) That was so good. Thank you, team. And these guys did so well. I don't think they practiced at all during the week. They just came together this morning and there was flat tyres and different things. But how good is God? And um, they just led us so beautifully. Thank you, worship team. You bless us so much. It's great to have you um, back on stage with us, Andy. I know you've been busy and travelling and... Yeah, anyway, he's running away. <laughs> he's had enough. Um, oh, where do you go from there? I don't know. Anyway, I am really excited to be here this morning and sharing with you. Hey, Lara. And I'm just trying to look at my notes and see where I start. Hmm. Yeah, it's a bit of a roar of heaven here this morning, hey? Breakthrough and just feels like we're in such an incredible season at the moment. I think God's going to continue to make sense of that as we go. I loved um, what Josh said last week about Jesus in Jesus, how he was with the disciples in the storm. I'm just going to do a quick recap of that because I'm going to kind of jump off that. Um, How to get through, I guess, the, the hard seasons, the winter seasons, the stormy seasons. And Josh shared three points. I should get you guys up here to recap. That sounds a bit like school, so... I'll just do it. Firstly, Jesus was in the boat. And, you know, even when the wind and the waves were crashing on the disciples, they were crashing also on Jesus. He was in the boat. He just wasn't stressed. And I love what Josh said. The disciples were completely in the will of Jesus. He said, get in the boat. Let's go to the other side. They were doing what Jesus had asked them to, and they still encountered tough times. And, you know, we all, it's life. We have battles. It doesn't mean we're doing the wrong thing. And I just love that. And the second point was he's in control. He actually said to the disciples, let us go to the other side. He didn't say, let us go drown. Jesus knew what he was doing. And I think in seasons of silence, in seasons of battle, you know, we're believing for breakthrough and thanking God for breakthrough, which I believe he's breaking through. But in the waiting, in the meantime, you know, what do we do? What do we hold on to? And I just want to encourage us to go back to the last encouragement or the last thing that maybe Jesus said to you, which was to the disciples, let us go to the other side. That was the promise. That's, that's what they were doing, even when the storm was raging if they had have just backtracked, maybe they would have remembered. That's what Jesus said. We're not going to all drown. So hang on to those words that Jesus has said to you, even in those seasons of silence. Remember the last thing he said. And the third one was he's preparing to take action. 
And Jesus got up and he commanded the wind and the waves to be still. And the disciples said, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. And I just, I love this point. The disciples discovered something new of Jesus and his power at the end of that that they didn't know. And in our stormy seasons, in our battle, it actually helps us to tap into the strength and the power of God in a way we knew not before. God, I didn't know how strong you were until you carried me through a season of sickness. God, I didn't know how strong you were until you sustained us through sleepless nights. We discover something of God's strength and power that we probably wouldn't have discovered otherwise on the mountaintops. We discover it in those hard times. And, you know, we're just singing about the power in the name of Jesus. And I love 2 Corinthians 12, 9. My grace is sufficient for you, for my Power is made perfect in weakness, therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. How good is that? In our weakness, in our struggle, in our pain, that's actually an opportunity for the power of God to be made manifest and for us to tap into that. Just as the disciples were like, oh, Jesus has got power through their struggle. It's the same for us. May we tap into that, lean into him, whatever. Our struggle. All right. Such a, a good message from Josh. Have a listen on SoundCloud if you miss it. And I do love how Josh always just presents Jesus um, so clearly. May we always be discovering more of Jesus um, on our journey. And, you know, we come into church on Sunday and I guess in a way we kind of get recharged and refueled for the week to go out and love others. And that's the mission, hey, to bring others to Jesus and, and share the love of God. But... Um, we need to be constantly connected to the source. We just burn out. So even today, may you be encouraged, refreshed, refueled to go out and um, just, I guess, share the love of God in a greater way. So, hey, Seth. I wonder if I should move that water. <laughs> um, so as you might have gathered, I like recapping. I'll just recap Josh's message. I do like when I speak to sometimes backtrack and tie everything together because I don't think that God kind of... Oh, I don't think each Sunday is an isolated incident where we just kind of, there's a message. I think God's got us on a journey and I guess over the days and years and months, he's speaking to us, not just through the messages, through the worship, through each other, through our daily lives. God's got us on a journey. So I love to look at the bigger picture and think, well, what is God saying through all of this perhaps? And I'm just talking about the messages because that is what I'm doing today. Um, but I want to tie it all together. So following on, a couple of weeks ago, I shared on some teaching from Steve Graham that I think was just key in terms of equipping us for life, on living a fulfilled life. And who knows that so many in our worlds in this day and age are searching on how to live a fulfilled life. They're searching for meaning and people are lost and, yeah, they don't know how to find it. I shared on the heart of Jesus um, who, as it says in Matthew 20, 28, came to serve and not be served to lay down his life as a ransom for many. And I spoke about how the way to greatness in life wasn't in actually pursuing greatness or our own ends, but was actually in laying down our lives, that paradoxical upside-down kingdom way of living. And this isn't a multi-step, I said this before and I'll say it again, it's not a multi-step plan to build the church. This is keys for life. How do we actually flourish in life? How do we find fulfillment? How do we find meaning? I looked at what secular psychologists were coming up with that lined up with what Jesus said about laying our lives down to serve something bigger. Who can remember the first psychologist I mentioned? Martin Seligman. <laughs> That's a bit of a tricky one. I couldn't even remember his name when I was doing, going back over my notes. Um, he was the president of the American Psychological Association and he was just sick of seeing people get out of depression and I guess 
back to relative functioning, but not moving further onto an actual fulfilled life. And, you know, so often we medicate people or we give them counseling until they get to a point of relative functioning. But Jesus' plan is for us to not only be relatively functioning, but to have a hope and a future and a good life, life abundant. And so this psychologist was like, we need to see people flourishing and happy in life, not just out of darkness. And that is the heart of God. And so his studies found, studying people that were happy there, was three levels of happiness. One, the pleasant life, all about pleasure and just doing what feels good. But the problem with pleasure is that it's only kind of pleasurable in small doses. If you go to a restaurant a few times, fun, go there 10 times, it's boring and you just want to go home and have a home-cooked meal. Traveling, staying in hotels, it's good in small doses, but then if you're a traveling salesman after a while, you just want to get home to your own bed. So pleasure, if your life is lived to pursue pleasure... I think it becomes empty on its own. But pleasure on top of, I guess, a higher purpose is great. And the second one that Martin talked about, Martin Seligman, was a good life. And we live a good life when we discover our strengths, use them as often as we can, and use them as often as we can, like whether it's surfing or cooking or studying. And then the third one was the meaningful life. Just as pleasure on its own is empty, without, I guess, a higher purpose in life, so is using our strengths for our own gain without a higher purpose. And so this is where the meaningful life came in. And Seligman said that actually we live a meaningful life when we not only discover our strengths, but tap into the fact that there's a higher purpose in life and that we can use our strengths to serve that purpose. And this is just what he found. He's not a Christian. He just found this out by researching people that were happy. They tapped into a higher purpose in life and they found fulfillment. So in other words, find your sweet spot and use it for a higher cause. Maslow backed it up too. You're probably like, why am I going over all this? It's going to link in with what the next message I'm talking about. Maslow backs it up too with his pyramid on human need. I forgot to check if we still had it on the computer. We might not. I'll just talk about it. So in his initial model, um, Maslow has the pyramid of human need with basic needs at the bottom. And then at the top, he has self-actualization, which is, I guess... The peak of human development in his initial model was to figure out who we are. Self-actualization is who we are, what we're good at. Kind of that second point, the good life that Seligman talks about. So that was his initial model. That That's, the, I guess, the goal, that we discover our strengths and what we're good at. He then moderated his model towards the end of his life. And one of the things, one of the main things he did was he added self-transcendence above self-actualization, which, which is actually the ability to tap into a higher purpose in life, to not only know what we're created for, but to realize it's for a higher purpose. Sounds exactly like what Seligman's talking about. And I just love how these psychologists who are researching the human brain and human happiness are discovering that what Jesus has taught us all along is right. Seligman gets it, Maslow gets it, Jesus has given us the keys to life and as I said Joseph got it through his turmoil, his pain, his hardship, he said in reference to his brothers who sold him into slavery, Genesis 45 verse 7 to 8, God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance, so it was not you who sent me but God and began and end with God, God sent me but in the middle, it was all about his brothers. And I think that, may we grasp that. It's not actually about us. It's about serving others, laying our lives down for others. And there's a lot of fulfillment and meaning in that. But there's also a lot of purpose in that. And I think that's, um, that's how we're going to outwork the mission of God. Okay. So, um, yeah, Joseph fed the, human, the known human world for seven years. He knew his fame, his power. His position was not about him. He's the picture of blessed to be a blessing. All right. So, yeah, we're created for so much more than to pursue our own selfish gain. 
whether it's like money or relational fulfillment or pleasure, we pursue those things on their own and they're just so empty. Um, we'll never be satisfied until we grasp that we exist for something greater. And I, you know, I was thinking about money and material blessing and I was loving what um, Jenny was sharing about like, you know, money and wealth isn't a bad thing. It's good. It's just priority. And we have a car and we have a beautiful home. And I think God wants to bless us in all areas of our lives. Some people might think that's prosperity preaching, but I believe that, that God does want to bless us in all of our, every area of our life. I think when it becomes a concern is when we prioritize and worship money and material things above God. It says, seek first his kingdom and the rest will follow. It's just about priority. Are we seeking first his kingdom and not worshiping and I guess idolizing money and material wealth? If we're seeking first his kingdom and making that a priority, I think the rest is a great bonus. All right. Everyone still with me? Sorry, I just speed read through my last sermon. Hope everyone have a listen. If, there's a lot more to it if you want to listen on SoundCloud to the whole thing. Philippians 2, verse 3 to 4 says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. And that's just exactly it's what Jesus' example, it's the example Jesus said of self-sacrifice, and that just sums it up there beautiful and beautifully. I really feel... This idea of surrender, what I'm talking about, is of utmost importance to us moving forwards in the next season. And you might be thinking, this is so boring. She just recapped all the messages and she's basically just telling us to get over ourselves. <laughs> but I really feel that actually it's the word of God for today, that we need to just lay aside that selfish ambition. There's a greater level of surrender to tap into. And Andy said you were talking about that at Small Group this week. Kath was talking about it similarly. Obviously, God's got us on a thread. Maybe surrender is of far greater importance than we know. Or maybe we know it's important, but like it's kind of just in the back of our heads and we've forgotten and God's wanting to remind us. Jesus laid down his life so we could find it. And we're following his example. And Tamana, I always use his illustrations, but praying as a family in the week. And he just prayed, Dear God, I pray you help all our friends who don't know you Help us to help them find you so that they can be in heaven with us. And I was just like, that's such the heart of God, hey, that we want everyone to be in heaven with us. And I know that's our heartbeat. And we look at our boys' school friends and all the people who we know in the community. And I just think, man, I want them to know the life that we know, to know the love that we know. And I want them to be in heaven with us. Like, doesn't it just break your heart when you think about your loved ones and you, you want them to know God? You want them to be in eternity with us. And I just think... Jesus laid down his life so we could find life. I think as we continue to lay down our life, it continues to make a way for others to find life. And I just think if we can get tripped up on ourselves, we're never going to be a bridge for others to find life. So it's key to everything. And so for the remainder of my message, I want to take, it a, I want to take a look at a man named Barnabas in the Bible. A man like Joseph who knew his life existed for a purpose greater than himself. And he made it his mission to serve others and build them up. And I think we can learn a lot from him. So Barnabas, he was actually initially named Joseph, but then he was given the nickname Son of Encouragement, Barnabas. Who thinks that's an awesome nickname? I think it's pretty cool. I don't know what he thought because like some of the other guys, James and John were called the Sons of Thunder and that's like pretty powerful. And then like, hey, Barnabas, Son of Encouragement. It doesn't sound as strong, but I think encouragement is pretty a pretty strong characteristic to have. So... Yeah, and Barnabas had a really crucial role in the expansion of the early church. 
And I think we can sometimes underestimate the power of encouragement. So let's take a look at Acts 9. And I forgot my Bible. As in, it's here. I just forgot it. It's in my back. All right. It's very quiet, isn't it? It's been quiet for us. My parents so kindly offered mum since she's finished work she's been bored (laughs) she's like I'm bored can do you want me to take any of the kids this weekend they're like yes so she took Esther Elliot and Taj up to Sydney for a sleepover and we've had a lovely relaxing time with our big two boys but then mum messaged us this morning saying just letting you know Esther's been vomiting all night I'm like oh poor Esther sorry mum and dad took one for the team um how good are grandparents who's a grandparent yeah, I love grandparents. <laughs> um, anyway, back to the point. So, looking at Acts 9. This is talking about Saul. He'd had his like, dramatic experience with God. He'd been persecuting the church. And then he has like, a dramatic experience where God speaks to him and he's changed. And he actually wants to go build the church and serve God. And... This is what it says in Acts 9.26. When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He talked and debated with the Hellenistic Jews, but they tried to kill him. When the believers learned of this, they took him down to Caesarea Caesarea, and sent him off to Tarsus. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened, living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit and increased in numbers. So how cool is that picture of what um, Barnabas actually did? And I want to tap into that. Saul had a life-changing encounter and he wanted to go meet with the disciples just to continue on his mission and be part of what they were doing. But the disciples were scared of him. Like, this guy's been killing people. He's been raging against Jesus. We don't want to meet him. He's probably going to kill us. But I love how Barnabas saw the best in Saul. When the other disciples were just scared, he was willing to put his life on the line and say, hey, no, I actually think this man is like who he says he is and he actually has something to offer and let's give him a go. That's the son of encouragement. I guess it's not so whimsical. He was actually, Barnabas was willing to put his life on the line because Saul could have killed him if what he was saying was all just a lie and make a way for him to walk in his destiny. And not only that, Barnabas risked in going to the disciples and saying, hey, listen to this man. He risked the disciples saying to him, well, maybe you're crazy too, and and kicking him out of the picture. He really um, put his life on the line there to actually make a way for Saul to walk in his destiny, I guess, and to be given an opportunity to be a part of the apostles. Maybe the early church and the spread of the gospel would have looked a little bit different if it wasn't for Barnabas making a way for Saul to walk in his destiny. Paul's destiny was linked with Barnabas' ability to see the good in him and he didn't fear for his life. And I love what Mark Varese, um, who spoke at our National Apostolic Conference in Queensland that we recently went to, um, he says, he's got churches all over the world, he's awesome, we listened to this message with our team um, probably a few weeks ago. But he says... The leader isn't the person to start a movement. It's the first person who follows the leader, who's the true leader. Everyone's already written the leader off as crazy. But as soon as one person says, hey, I actually think what they have to say is worth listening to, then all of a sudden there's credibility. And, you know, Paul was the crazy guy that everyone was like, he's crazy, we're not following him. 
no one was going to like let him in or follow him until Barnabas actually spoke up and said, hey, I think we should follow this guy. I think he's got something worthwhile saying. So maybe you're thinking, oh, I'm just an encourager. I'm someone who opens doors of destiny, fathers. That is so crucial. Maybe you're actually the key to starting a movement and following someone else. Like I said, the leader is often the crazy one. It's the first person to follow that often is actually the beginning of the movement. And I feel... um, yeah, and for Barnabas' whole life, he wasn't the main guy. He was Paul's right-hand man. He wasn't even called an apostle until later in life. Did he care? No. He knew it wasn't about him. I feel some of us, maybe we can get our knickers in a knot because we're not in the position we want to be. We don't have the title that we want. I don't think it really matters. The point is that we're serving a higher purpose and it's not about us. Barnabas got that. You might be a Barnabas to Paul. And I think that's an incredibly significant role to have. It's not, maybe, it's just as important as Paul's. Without Barnabas, there might not have been a Paul. Without Jonathan, David probably would have been killed a lot earlier in life. Armour bearers, sons of encouragement, arm lifters are vital to the work of God. Jesus went to the cross virtually alone, but the rest of us are humans and we need each other. Can we look beyond ourselves? We aren't here for ourselves. We're We're here to serve something greater. And may our hearts be ones that say, I don't care what my role or my status or my title. I'm actually here to serve others. I'm here to serve the purpose of God in my lifetime. And again, I just love this verse, what it says about David in Acts 13, 36. At the end of his life, he served the purpose of God in his generation and then he fell asleep. He didn't say he was king and he was a worshipper and he wrote the Psalms and he won lots of victories or he had an affair. It didn't go into detail about his life. It's all that mattered at the end of the day was he served the purpose of God in his generation. May we be ones who serve the purpose of God in our lifetime, whatever that looks like. Everyone wants to be a David or a Saul or an Esther or a Moses But where are the Jonathans, the Barnabases, the Mordecais, the Aarons, the arm upholders, the encouragers, the destiny openers and armor bearers? And I might add Moses, Saul, David and Esther all lived to serve others in the purpose of God in their generation, just as those who had their back did. It just looked a little bit different and they couldn't have done it without their right hand man. Do we recognize how important it is to champion and encourage one another, to have each other's backs? I really feel God is wanting us to grasp this this morning you you may be elevated to great prominence or you may just serve behind the scenes does it bother you either way I just have a think about it I know I regularly try and check my heart are my motives right am I thinking about myself and so or am I thinking about serving others and I was like the oldest child and the oldest grandchild on both sides of my family so I grew up with a lot of love and attention and loved it but now that I'm a bit older I really hate it and I'd rather just run from it <laughs> Because uh, attention and prominence is, prominence is not always a good thing. It puts you under a lot of scrutiny. And if your life's kind of in the spotlight, people think they have um, all the right in the world to criticize you. And think about politicians or celebrities. Their lives are in the spotlight and people critique their lives no end. People are always happy to give an opinion, aren't they, on everything. It's, I think sometimes it's better to be behind the scenes. <laughs> um, anyway, are we aiming for glory and recognition from man or are we content? serving wherever we need be and I was thinking again about my kids thank goodness for my kids so I can use all their stories um Tamana our boys love footy and our oldest son Zeke he's a real um he's strong in attack I guess whether he's doing soccer or footy he just kicks goals and scores tries and it's just how he's made to just he's pretty big so I think he can just push through and um he's got great ball skills Tamana 
he's um, a bit, he's more defensively minded and he hasn't, like he's out there, keep this out little secret, he hasn't scored a try all season in his football team, but I think he's the only one who hasn't, but he's so defensively minded and he's stopped a lot of tries on the other team and even yesterday I think his team won like 50 to 20 or something. Three of those tries were Tamana tackling the other team and knocking the ball out of their hands so that then the attackers on his team could pick up the ball and run and score a try. And everyone claps the try scorers and I'm the same, like, yeah, team got a try. That wouldn't have happened if Tamana didn't get the ball out of those... um, out of the boys' hands, and I just think it's how it is in life. We applaud the ones who are kicking the goals and scoring the tries, but there's always someone behind the scenes making a way for those guys to kick the goals and score the tries. And, I, and even um, Tamana is just, just such a beautiful heart, and they try and get everyone to have an opportunity in the football team. And so the coach will be like, "All right, Joey, set Tamana up for a try." And <laughs> I remember him setting Tamana up for a try, and Tamana's like. Pass the ball on to someone else to get the try. He just doesn't care. He's not in it for the glory. He's like, I'm having fun defending. I love tackling. I'm not worried about scoring tries. May that be our heart. Team players, I'll do whatever it takes. I don't care if no one's cheering me on. I'm having fun. I know that I'm causing, um, making a difference in the world. That's all that matters. And who knows what destinies may be unlocked as we make a way for others to rise on the back of our encouragement. So... Yeah, may we know what it is to live for others for a cause greater than ourselves. Encouragement is just to give courage to others. And I think sometimes as Christians, we actually suck at giving encouragement. Like, hey, you're awesome. So cliche. <laughs> like we could put some thought into it. Like I was thinking, I was going to say earlier, Ryan, how great was your uh, giving talk the other week? I really loved that and got so much out of it. Like I could just say that. I was just going to say that. But how about... Um, Ryan, I love your giving talk because it had the weight of heaven on it and there was such an authority and a creativity and a brilliance just of God on that and that's why I loved it. It really spoke to me. I think maybe we can just put a little bit more thought into our encouragement rather than Christians like, thumbs up, you're awesome. (laughs) Tell someone why they're awesome. Um, And worse than just cliche encouragement, sometimes we don't even encourage because we're so focused on ourselves or on the negative in life we don't bother to encourage. So may we, one, look for opportunity to encourage and champion others, and two, get good at it. So I started, this is why I'm trying to connect it, talking about living for a purpose greater than ourselves, just as the Bible greats did, just as Jesus did, tapping into something greater. I'm just wanting to bring it down now and make it practical. How can we live for a purpose greater than ourselves? Let's start by encouraging someone. I think that's actually a pretty practical act of how we can go beyond ourselves and connect with something larger. So let's get real and go and encourage someone. It's that easy, yet I don't think we're that great at it. We speak up if we have a complaint or don't like something, but where's the giving courage? All right, I just need some water. Is this mine or Jenny's? That was a great giving talk. (laughs) Because I love the plants and the illustrations. (laughs) Your personal examples. (laughs) Adam. Um... So, I, had, I was in Woolies the other week, and I was being served by this lovely lady, and I noticed her encouraging the man in front of me, and he was just showing, man, you'll probably know who I'm talking about, he was showing this lady who was serving me some pictures on his phone of his artwork, and she was like, 
oh my gosh, the artwork is amazing. And he's like, oh yeah, thanks. And she's like, how long did it take you to paint that? And he's like, 20 hours. And she's like, what? You only did it in 20 hours? That's amazing. And she said, and how long, how long have you been painting for? And he said, oh, it took me seven years to learn. And, and she's like, seven years? No way. You're like so gifted, you must have been born with that talent, you can't learn that sort of talent, and he's like, oh, thank you, yeah, and I'll show you some other pictures, and she's like, oh, my goodness, you've got to come in and show me some more pictures next time, and it kind of went on, and she was so encouraging, and he was so chuffed, and I was like, this lady knows how to encourage, and, and she wasn't flattering, she was like genuinely interested in this man, and genuinely getting into his world, and she wasn't faking it, and then next minute, like, I was just starting to load my stuff up, and this other lady came from another checkout and she's like, hi. I forget what I forget what this lady's name was. Hi. She's like, hi, look at you. You're looking so good. I can tell you've been to the gym. She's like, look at your jawline. And the lady's like, yeah, look at me. I'm like, I've lost weight. I can wear t-shirts that I, I wasn't, I couldn't, used to wear. And she's like, you are looking so good. And she's like, yeah, not many people have noticed that I've lost weight. She's like, I can tell. You look amazing. And don't you worry. And like, this lady's come from another checkout just to see this lady. And I was like oh my gosh, this lady at Woolies knows how to give courage to people. And I said that to her, you're the best encourager I've ever heard. And I love to encourage, but she was far better at it than me. And I think we can take a leaf from her book. How hard is it to give some courage to someone down the street or maybe point out something that they're good at? It doesn't take much brains to point out people's weakness and say, look, this is what you need to grow in. But maybe it takes some thought and some courage to point out their strengths. Can we get better at encouraging? So... People are searching. As I said earlier, people are struggling at that point of who am I? Maybe we can help them tap into who they are by giving them some encouragement and saying, I see who you are, even if you don't see who you are. And you know, on Maslow's model, there was self-actualization, discovering who we are. And according to Maslow's models, you can't achieve the higher needs until you achieve the more basic needs. So perhaps people can't discover they're created for a higher purpose until they discover who they are. And perhaps our world is so self-obsessed and wondering around worrying about themselves because they don't know there's a higher purpose and they don't know what they're created for, so they just think about me, but they're lost. If we can help people tap into who they are, firstly, then they're going to tap into the fact there's a higher purpose and um, there's an order of things. Maybe our encouragement... Our surrender is of vital importance to everything. And, you know, we have some great encouragers in our midst here, like Lynn um, Candelo, who's not here. She's hopefully having a lovely time in Naruma. And the Hansons, they're hopefully having a lovely time in Samoa. They've been obviously so busy encouraging, they need a break. <laughs> Sarah Wanga, Abby, the Heartlands, they're not here. They'll be happy because if they get any more shout-outs in church, they'll probably want to leave. Um, but they're just encouraging people, people who see the best. And, or maybe they don't see the best. Maybe they see the worst, but they choose to focus on the best. And um, there's probably many more. Get some people like that in your lives. These guys just have it in their bones, encouragement. So what can we learn from Barnabas? It's not about us, firstly. And secondly, see the best in others. And, you know, Barnabas not only saw the best in Paul, but later in the Bible, he saw the best in John Mark too. And I could unpack Jonathan as an armor bearer, Aaron and her as arm lifters, Mordecai as a door opener for destiny in a similar vein. But I want to try and keep it simple and just focus on stirring up the spirit of encouragement in us this morning. And to quote Nikki Gumbel, stop looking for a perfect church. 
It does not exist. Join an imperfect church and serve in every way you can to make it nearer perfection. I love this quote and I'm, I'm going to explain how this links in. Dad always taught Josh and I, if we see something that frustrates us in the church, to actually not use it as an excuse to run or to be like, oh, just give up, it's so annoying. But to actually use it as fuel and passion for our fire to see that thing shift. So in the early days when Josh and I, I think like, it was kind of like people had prophesied over us that there was an anointing on us to lead the church and we were grappling and we, wasn't, we weren't sure if it was the right thing. And one of the things that really frustrated us was religion in the church and Christians who kind of give God a bad name because they're just so weird and super spiritual and the politics in church and there's just a whole lot that we didn't like. Dad said to us, don't use that as your excuse to run. Use that as your excuse to actually be the change you want to see in the world. So we could have just stewed on that and be like, it's so frustrating, we don't want to get involved. Or we could have said, why don't we build a church that's free of religion so that when the lost and hurting and lonely come in, they find a place that is normal, they find a place that is like family, they find the heartbeat of God without all the religious crap and they feel like they're home. And the number of testimonies we've had of people saying, this feels like home, this feels like normal, it's not super spiritual, it's not boring, it's just like home. And I've never felt so at home in my life. That is why we do what we do. And I just want to encourage you, church, you can sit back and criticize, you can criticize people, you can criticize the church. Don't just sit back and stew on what you're frustrated with. Go be the change you want to see in the world. Bring some positivity and encouragement. If we all did that, things will be very different. Same with people. No one is perfect. Do what you can to help others be the best. And that doesn't always mean pointing out their weakness. Yes, there's a place for that. There's a place for saying, hey, I can see some growth points that you could grow in. But in my experience, people know their weakness. People know what they suck at. They don't need it pointed out. And opinions often on, hey, you're not doing this very well, you need to do that better, are not helpful. People don't need their flaws pointed out. They need to be given courage to overcome and go forwards and conquer in life. Nikki Gumbel, I'm just loving Nikki Gumbel at the moment. Pat might put it up. A true friend knows your weakness but shows you your strength, feels your fears but fortifies your faith, sees your anxieties but stresses your abilities. Love this. Can we be true friends? Louis Giglio has also said this. Um, I just stole it off his Instagram or screenshotted it. Maybe Pat will pop it up. Maturing is realizing how many things you don't have to, or how many things don't require your comment. I think that's really profound. In this day and age, especially, everyone's got a comment and an opinion. We don't always have to say what we're thinking. Sometimes it's mature and wise to hold our tongue. And I think um, let's just take that on board. I know it's not easy. I'm always just speaking what I think, um, but I'm learning to sometimes hold my tongue. And I found in life the wisest people, not always, but often, are the quietest ones. Marita is a great example of this, the wisdom in this lady. But she won't pipe up unless you draw it out of her. <laughs> she sits in the background with so much wisdom in her. And it's the same in leadership meetings. I've been in leadership meetings and we're all like gas bagging on and nutting out things, including myself. And then at the end of the meeting, Josh or Dean often will just pipe up with a word of wisdom that makes sense of everything and could have saved us all the earlier discussion. I'm like, hello, speak up a little bit earlier. People who have the gift of wisdom, wisdom is not, um, it's not often verbose. It's reserved and it waits to be invited. Brian Houston actually says, opinion is given, counsel is invited. And I know for Josh, he's got that gift of wisdom and he so often just 
chucking out little pearls and sometimes I don't listen to him and then I think I should have. There's been a few situations where I'm like, oh, if I had to listened to Josh, this wouldn't have happened. <laughs> anyway, get some wise people in your life and listen to them. Um, I guess learn how, which opinions to reject and receive because there's a lot of opinions and we do need wise advice, but yeah, there's discernment also in that. Anyway, people don't need their flaws pointed out. They need to be given courage. Can we get better of it? Better at it. I really feel there's just simply encouragement being stirred up in us this morning. And don't worry, I'm actually about to give you opportunity to use it. Is anyone running? Um, I want to, in a minute, get us to stand up and go and encourage two people. And as I said, it's going beyond yourself. That's a little bit awkward, maybe, to give the encouragement or to receive the encouragement. Um, so... Make sure I've said everything. Make sure no one's left out. And um, I'm just going to add a few more thoughts before we wrap up and sing. I'm stretching you today. I didn't just come to sit here and listen and observe. You came to offer something you might not know you've had. All right, stand up. Go and encourage two people. And make sure no one's left out. I'm sorry if you're visiting with us. We don't always do this. All right, find your way back to your seats. I hope everyone had an opportunity to encourage someone. And if you, I had to interrupt you and you were just on a great run there of encouraging someone, go find them after church and finish what you were saying. How often do we think great things about people but keep them to ourselves? Sometimes it's good to let people know how amazing they are. And if you're visiting with us, we don't normally do that, okay? I'm sorry if that was a bit awkward. Normally we just sit and listen. So if you want to live a fulfilled life, lay down your life for a greater cause. Use your strength to serve that higher purpose. And as um, Seligman says, throw in some great relationships and pleasure on the way and you'll live a great life. But where do we start with all that? How do we want to live a great life? How do we want to go beyond ourselves? Go encourage someone. That's my practical tip for today. I've said all this pie in the sky, discover there's a higher purpose. But if you're struggling to discover your higher purpose, start by encouraging someone.
and it'll cause you to step beyond yourself. And um, I think it'll help unlock something over someone else's life and yours. And on this note, church, surround yourself with the right people, people who bring life to you and don't bring you down. Who are your Barnabas in your life? Who, who gives you courage? And as I said, loving Nicky Gumbel at the moment, he's posted this little, what do you call these things? Are they acrostic poems? Friends? With like the letters down the side, F. Yep. Friends, forgive you, respect you, inspire you, encourage you, nourish, defend you, and support you. How good is that? Do you have some people in your life who display those characteristics? Hang around them more. And if you're like, I don't have anyone who gives me courage or nourishes me or defends me or supports me, go so some of that into someone else. I think you reap what you sow. So if you're thinking, no one does that for me, go be the change you want to see in the world. Start that ball rolling and I'm sure it will come back to you. Surround yourself with people who give you courage. And in terms of wisdom, as I said earlier, also surround yourself with people who can give you sound wisdom and learn which voices to accept and reject. I might get the band up actually. And, you know, some people are insecure, and in their insecurity, they just like to point out everyone else's weakness because it takes their focus off their own issues. And so some people will try and give you what seems like wisdom, but it's really just not wisdom, and maybe they haven't... Like, you know, if you've got kids, and someone who doesn't have kids comes up and says to you, this is how you should discipline your kids. Like, they haven't really walked the journey. I guess look for people who have walked the journey. Look for the fruit of their lives. Look for their intention in giving you wisdom. There's an example in the Bible with Jethro and Moses, where Moses was being the judge of the people, and day and night people were coming to see him, and he was just exhausted. And Jethro actually spoke up and says, hey, Moses, what are you doing? You're going to burn you and the people out by doing this. You need to set leaders over the hundreds and the thousands and set judges over the people. And that was an example where Jethro was looking out for the well-being of Moses' soul. And so he came and said, Moses, I'm concerned about you. Maybe there's a few little changes you can make. And, you know, people who come to you with wisdom, if it's genuine in the heart of God, it's rooted in your well-being and looking out for you. It's not rooted in trying to bring you down. So get the right people in your life who will give you courage and who will give you wisdom and look out for the well-being of your soul. So let's stand and I just want to pray for people, finish by praying for people this morning who maybe have had the opposite happen. Maybe you've had the courage taken out of you. Maybe you have had people in your life who just pointed out your flaws and your weakness and everything you sucked at. And I just want to pray this morning that God will bring healing to your heart and actually bring some courage to you today. And also, you've been given a weapon today in going and encouraging others. If you haven't received it, as I said, go and sow it into others. You reap what you sow. All right. So let's just close our eyes. And if that is you this morning and um, your heart's just a bit downcast and you really just feel like the wind's been taken out of your sails and you just, yeah, you don't have courage for life, just open your heart and I'm just going to pray for you right now. God, I just thank you so much that you are the ultimate courage giver. I thank you that you sent your son Jesus because you believed in us so much and you know we have what it takes. And so for anyone here that might be struggling and just feeling really discouraged, I just thank you that right now you would lift them up. I thank you that you bring a healing to their heart. Maybe there's been mean words spoken and just things spoken out over people just to bring them down. And I just thank you, God, that you take those things right now. And I just, we just speak life 
and encouragement out over each and every one. And yeah, I just thank you. Courage, courage, courage come into hearts where it's being taken out right now in Jesus' name. And I thank you that this morning everyone's going to be walking out a little taller, feeling a bit more encouraged. And for each of us here, church, may we know what it is to be courage givers. To be, Barnabas, to be Barnabases in people's life, to lift up people's arms, to fight for them. And I just thank you for the destinies that are yet to be unlocked on the other side of our encouragement for the purpose of God that will be outworked as we see the best in others and champion them in that. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Let's finish with praise, hey?